The following opinions and ideas are that of the host and or contributors of the Eat This podcast and are for the purposes of general information and entertainment only and do not necessarily reflect the thoughts or ideas of the distributor. Broadcasting to the world from inside her closet and high above the streets of Toronto, this is Eat This with Leanne. Here's your host, registered nutritionist, Leanne Philipson. A bunch of years ago, a movement towards eating local emerged. The book, The 100 Mile Diet, A Year of Local Eating by Alyssa Smith and J.B. McKinnon was published to prove that it's possible to live off food that hasn't traveled further than 100 miles. Now, with a quote that on the cover that was written by David Suzuki saying, eating local isn't just a fad. It may be one of the most important ways that we save ourselves and the planet. Well, that book was a huge hit and got people's attention. To think that it's not normal to have strawberries in the winter, squash in the summer, and apples all year round would make most well, most people just sort of take a moment and think, oh, isn't that normal? Isn't that just how everything is? Well, no, it's not because we have four seasons, especially where we're from here in Canada and, and in Ontario. And although our produce is transported all over the world so that we can enjoy things like fruits from regions that don't grow or you know, we just can't grow them because of the climate that, that we're in locally, it, it really kind of messes with your understanding of what is local and where is this food coming from? Well, papaya and mango, now they aren't grown locally to where I live and yet I can buy them in the supermarket most of the year. The avocados that I talk about a lot here on Eat This With Leanne are so good for us to consume on toast or mashed up as a lovely guac, but they're not grown anywhere near us either. During the summer months, it's possible to get Ontario-grown produce, so I go for it. Oh my gosh, the strawberries and the plums and then the peaches and eventually the pears and then the apples in the fall. I mean, just from a fruit standpoint, oh, it's absolutely amazing. Now, does that mean that I don't eat foods that are grown in Chile or Mexico or California or even South America the rest of the year? No, I'd probably have to stop and think about that, but likely not. We don't always look at the packaging as in terms of where did those grapes come from? Because you fancy having grapes maybe. Or where did those cherries come from? Yeah, I think I like cherries, not at the time when they're actually in the supermarket and they're local. Now, eating locally grown produce can feel limiting as we wait for crops to bear fruit and veggies that we want to eat. And really, certainly now in a world of instant gratification, our patience tends to wane. Shopping in a big box store means buying in bulk and making the most of items on sale. Really, well, that allows for some semblance of budgeting for yourself and the family. But what's that doing to our local growers and the economy closer to home? Like something that you may or may not have considered in terms of when you do put money into the local economy, then that really does flourish. Now, I visit my local market every week without fail. It's not necessarily a habit for everyone. And I recognize that there's a stigma to the local and organic that usually gives like bells of uh, bells going off of dollar bills for the most part. But there's something to be said for a shift that thinking more about buying local and a connection even to your food. And that's something that I don't always see. And I don't think many people are even aware of, and probably I'm not the majority of time either. There are many directions that a conversation about eating locally 
can go and do that again there are many directions to the to any kind of conversation about eating locally grown food but today let's talk to and hear from a local farmer who is literally in the field farming the greens and the produce that I buy and enjoy every single week from the Brickworks Market, which is local to me in the East End of Toronto. So today on Eat This with Leanne, why buying local matters and a discussion with a farmer and an advocate of buying local. Ryan Bergman of Loco Fields, he's gonna come on and enlighten us quite literally to the ground of his world of food production and also distribution. Now, to say that the past two years have turned so much on its head is an absolute understatement. But my one constant throughout all of this time over the past couple of years was to go to the farmer's market every Saturday. Sometimes I'd have to stand outside in the rain for 20 minutes, go in with my mask on, make sure it sanitizes all of us did as we even entered a supermarket. But I kept on doing it. I made it a habit because I quite literally felt grounded as I headed in, seeing familiar faces each week as I fill my bags with local fish, eggs, chickens, greens, veggies, and fruit. And of course, shortbread. That's where I get my shortbread from, Chris. That's from the the French baker that goes to the market every week with all of his incredible croissants and of course, shortbread. I know I'm such a sucker for it. Now, I know that people that I'm buying food from have driven in that morning after they've harvested the day before and and then they just they turn up and they put all their all their goods out on the tables for me to come along and buy. Now there's a connection that comes from buying food from the farmer or or the team that's involved in the food that we consume. And I don't believe that I always appreciate it or others probably don't even think about it too. So that's actually part of what I wanted to talk about today too. Now it's not necessarily that it's a fault of anyone's if they don't understand this, but Like I said, the conversation is happening today. It's so that we can bring this into our awareness. The last time I was at the market a couple of weeks ago, buying my bag of what's called kitchen sink greens from Ryan and his team, a collection of all sorts of leafy greens, like a really interesting spinach with a little redness to it, some arugula, some baby chard, and I'm not even sure what else goes into it. I just absolutely love it. I buy beautiful pansies, nasturtiums, and other flowers. And again, I don't know the names of, but I do put on my salads and truly get quite giddy when I see see something on the table that I don't recognize as I'm scanning past all of the produce that Ryan and his team brings, because it's an opportunity to try something new that I didn't know about before and that you don't find at your local supermarket. About a month ago, I tried black garlic for the first time. Apparently, it's a dehydration process, but oh my gosh, is it good. I sprinkled it on top of my salads and my mushrooms and and the egg that I made in this beautiful bowl, and it's actually incredibly sweet, not garlic smelly. Well, one day while I was at the market, I had a bit of an aha moment over a bag of greens about talking to Ryan really getting to know him a little bit more further to just saying, Hey, what's this? And what's that? And what should I try in that? Try, you know, try to do with that because all the gorgeous sprouts, the greens, the sweet potato, the onions, herbs, and flowers, and everything else that catches my eye from his particular tables. Well, that's a fairly limited conversation because there's normally a queue of people behind me wanting to buy whatever it is that I'm picking up as well. Or I think it was purple sprouting broccoli, which I used to eat when I was in England and did during my training he had one bunch one week and I saw it and I said what is that and then all of a sudden it was gone because someone else nabbed it first it's kind of like oh should we have a bidding war over the purple sprouting broccoli the next week that I went there was like a whole basket of it so I definitely didn't lose out and I said I'll take two for sure and then it actually lasted for two weeks it was tremendous because I just cooked little bits every now and then savoring it it was just amazing really whatever catches my eye 
when I'm looking at this food, I thought, well, let's, you know, this whole situation has caught my eye. Let's have a conversation about buying local. And I want to hear a little bit more from who I'm buying my food from further to the couple of questions that I can ask him. So I really think this is going to be an enlightening conversation. Now to introduce him properly, Ryan Bergman is the founder and the farmer of Local Fields, which is just outside Stratford, Ontario, probably a couple of hours from my closet. He began his journey in 2010 into farming and further to that I'm not quite sure how he landed there so I'm going to let him share a bit more about himself. Well, welcome to Eat This with Leanne Ryan. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to a conversation that's further to what's in this bag this week? Because <laughs> that's what I do every time I go to the market. And what have you got this week? And all the different greens that I'm faced with. I just say, what's this? And what am I supposed to do with that? So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first off? Sure. So um, started farming. I'll give you a little bit of information on that first. Started farming in 2010. Yep. Um, I came from an IT background and was just kind of looking for a way out or some change from that. It started with a small garden and just kind of got excited about growing, putting a seed in the ground and seeing that uh, was pretty fascinating with what came out of it. Potato in particular, stuck a potato in the ground. I'm like, like, wow, this is like fascinating. <laughs> and so just continued to grow and, and went to a farmer's market, sold, um, I think, 50 bucks worth of uh, green leaf lettuce cut up and washed yeah. literally in our kitchen sink and bagged. Yeah. And it's grown, I guess, quite a bit over the years. So we, we continue to expand and, um, uh, and evolve, I guess, with, uh, with the times. So it's, uh, yeah, that's uh, where, where we started anyway. So. Wow. From IT to farming. I yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're years ahead of the great resignation post COVID too. So I even, I love that even more that you just, yeah. you went from an IT position to, okay, no, I'm going to be well, all day. To be honest, there's some days I'm like, uh, maybe I should have stuck with the IT, <laughs> but they're usually just financial. And I actually think about it. I'm like, no, nah, I did the, I made the right choice. Is there anything yeah. about your IT background that came in handy when you went into farming? Tried to think about that before. And actually, I don't think there is much, to be honest with you. I'm sure there is somewhere along the line. I've, I've, I've tried to go the automation route. I've tried to go, I mean, we put in some digital sensors, I guess. I can fix our internet when it breaks. Um, outside of that, absolutely no. nothing. And I think that's what I like about it. What has the learning curve been like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, and I have really had no background. I mean, I've always sort of just grown a few things, nothing. I mean, I didn't know anything more than the average person. I don't think I had a big interest in it. So a big interest in food in general, I'm interested in just eating and dining and those things. Um, so it made it a little bit easier to sort of chase that. I also started in 2010. I feel like there was a bit of a bit of a resurgence in the local food movement again and, mm. um, you know, buying local things too. So I also saw it as a bit of a business um, decision too. I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's a good time to sort of get into this and, and, and you know, see what happens. And how has your business grown? So it's always about, you know, more, can we grow more? Can we get more land? Um, so we moved from a, a plot that we had was about a half an acre to begin with. Everything was done by hands. Um, I mean, most of it still is, but completely by hand. So with small hose and then wheel hose, we watered with a garden hose. Uh, we had a little tiny gazebo set up, which we did our packing and washing in. Uh, we used the mudroom of the house for um, packaging greens. And we turned this little tiny sunroom in the house into um, where we started our transplants. It, it pretty small beginnings. My father, who was around 70 at that time, helped me. And so he was working sun up till sundown, uh, putting me to shame most days out there. Aww. And we, we would go to the market on Saturday and go to the market on Sunday. Yeah. I just thinking about that today, driving. I'm like, wow, I'm like, just to barely 10 years ago, he was he was out there. He would go to the market himself on Saturdays as well while I was staying at the farm and unloading the van. I'm not sure how we did it because uh, I I definitely can't keep up today to that. Uh, wow. That's that's for sure. This is wow. the kind of story that I would expect to hear if they had podcasting in 1822, not not 19, not 2022. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some days I always feel like it's a step backwards from what's going on. I mean, everything's automated. <laughs> everything's you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, everything's changed, right? So 
Um, but I had to start somewhere. I didn't have any money. So that was the big thing. I was, uh, uh, the company I worked for was actually going bankrupt. So, um, you know, so I made a bit of an exit from there. Right. I see, saw the writing on the wall and sort of started planning the garden, I guess the year before. And, um, I, I met a, uh, somebody at the farmer's market, which is now a good friend of mine, uh, who invited me to, to start selling at the market. And, and that part was exciting too, just the sort of the social aspect of, uh, I was fairly new to Stratford at the time, which is where the farm is located. Uh, so I was excited to be part of something as well. Um, Stratford, uh, people aren't familiar, it's actually a pretty big culinary area as well. Stratford Chef School, lots of really nice restaurants. So um, so there was that opportunity too, to start selling to restaurants. And pretty exciting to go into a restaurant and see your food that you grew uh, prepared into something and put on the table in front of you. There was a bit of glamour that came with it too, which was kind of exciting. So I'm not sure how glamour came from that, but it, it's there. So <laughs> just take it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, just like a sense of pride, like, wow, all these people in this restaurant are eating the food that we grew, you know, hats off to you for that, for that one. With the farming that you do. So you've kind of gone from this, you know, small patch out back to like how big is your farm now yeah we're not a giant operation so when we moved uh, farms about two years in um we actually don't own the land we rent the land we rent the house that we're in currently so um so we had a little agreement with a farm another farmer here um which is kind of interesting too it's nice to be able to coexist with a big agricultural producer and uh found somebody that um, believed in what we want to do and are willing to support what we do because the, the cost of land is pretty expensive especially in this farming region we're in right now so we went to i think we have five acres here in total of outdoor land yeah. and we've since grown it to um uh, an acre and a half of covered uh, greenhouse space. So uh, we're doing about 60,000 square feet in over 16 uh, different greenhouses. So I have a bit of a greenhouse building addiction as well. Uh, <laughs> outside of the farm. Uh, some days I wonder if I actually like building the greenhouse more than farming, but I, I'm usually pretty happy when it's finished and we can start putting seeds in the ground. Does the way that you farm, is it called organic? Is there a certification that you have to have? Yeah, we don't. We're not certified organic, so we've never um, okay. thought about it many, many times. Uh, I don't disagree with it, um, but we've always been selling directly to uh, farmers at farmers markets and directly to restaurants. So uh, we have the opportunity to have communication with our customers and, and talk about our growing practices. Uh, the farm is also very open open to visitors. So I haven't really saw too much need for this certification. Uh, well, well, I saw the need. I just, I guess the additional paperwork for me, very little time in a day. And I'd rather spend it farming than I would um, dealing with that side of the business. You know, we're not certified organic, but our practices are definitely in line with that. Also on your website, uh, localfields.com. There's a lot written about being sustainable and socially responsible. For sure. The sustainability, obviously it, it, it applies to, um, is applies to growing practices. So, um, you know, we are, being organic is a big one, of course, um, but it goes a little bit farther than that too. And the social responsibility um, for us, it's also labor is a big thing. So we hire um, all local people um, and uh, we pay a decent wage. I think it's important, especially for this kind of work. It's, it's very hard work and very demanding. And um, my theory is if, you know, if I don't want to do it, then I, I don't think it's fair that I ask somebody else to do it as well. So um, so we try to be, uh, you know, take that into consideration, I suppose. And um, we try to work with other community organizations too to sort of donate food, time, tours. Uh, we're open to school tours as well. So uh, the education aspect of it is uh, fascinates me too. So the sustainability also is, as a business, as a farm too, um, is kind of, I think, forgotten sometimes. We talk about sustainability in the food and the, the that aspect and the environmental aspect. But as a business, we also need to be sustainable too. Um, so, you know, we have to worry about finances and things like that. It would be nice to be able to just grow and, and, and for fun, but that's not the way it works. Yeah. And I would imagine that all comes down to, you know, what you're charging and how much you're selling. Do you, do you sell your produce any other way, any other distribution model? Uh, we originally started, I mean, uh, like I said, farmers markets and selling directly to restaurants. So right. over, over time, that's changed a little bit. We've added some small, like we deliver to small retail locations as well. Uh, more, more independent grocery stores, 
Um, and some, and now we've sort of expanded a little bit into some, uh, some little bit medium-sized distributors, I suppose. We did make a big change um, in the last couple of years uh, uh, with the beginning of the pandemic. Of course, uh, farmers markets were closing and restaurants were also closing. So all of a sudden we found ourselves with all of this produce ready in the peak of our season for greenhouses, which is spring and zero customers. So we actually made the pivot to online sales and got into a little bit more wholesale. Uh, so that was sort of to, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, it was to to sell our produce, but also there's other small producers at farmers markets, which really couldn't go online. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't set up their own distribution and whatnot. So uh, we started aggregating food from other producers as well and uh, combined it into a delivery uh, a delivery company. So that's since changed a little bit as well. I mean, the, things have changed in the world. Things have opened back up. Uh, the demand for deliveries kind of went down. We're getting back into the farmer's markets as well. Restaurants are opening. Um, chefs are now you know, looking to buy produce again. So we're looking at getting back into the way we used to do things. Yeah, I can imagine like on every level. And I think this is probably, this is definitely something I didn't necessarily think about is, you know, so the restaurants are closed. Nobody's going to the restaurants or if you are, you know, people during the pandemic were doing um, takeout because that's what they could do at that time. And rather than just thinking about the restaurant and the servers and the owners and all that kind of stuff, it's also the producers of the food that the restaurants would buy from. I mean, it just has hit on an economic level so many that we probably don't even give a second thought to. But the chain of you know purchasing and like you said and growing it's just yeah it, when you sit down and think about it it it's far-reaching it really is it's kind of left us guessing each year the last few years uh who is our customer who are we growing for and that sort of unknown kind of makes it difficult too because we have to sort of plan most of the season out or at least part of the season out we kind of need to know who we're going to sell to who's who we're going to grow for we can't just produce a bunch of food and, and, and hopefully find some customers to buy it. Yeah, um, it and they will come does not. Yeah. It doesn't them. quite work that way. So, I mean, I can produce, uh, you know, I could grow all of one thing and uh, it's great. It, it, you know, it'd be nice, but you have to have somebody to buy it too. And that, that's a big thing for us is trying to guess. So the last couple of years have been a lot of guesswork and even the spring, we didn't, we didn't really know what was going to happen. So, Know, restaurants were still a little bit slow uh, getting going this year, mm. and not even not even just that, but they're they're also still dealing with um, you know starting to recover from the last couple of years. So budgets have changed, and so we have to compete. You know, we have to try and compete a little bit with uh, some imported produce, which which can be difficult too. That's why I decided to go back to the farmers markets as well. Um, you know, it's I, I kind of know what that what that's about and, and we can sort of bring to the table what most people want and it's, um it's a, it's just a nicer model of selling food i think so so really trying to get into supermarkets and things like that is feels pretty heavy when i just even you know kind of think about it i wasn't really interested right from the start but uh, i thought okay this is maybe a model we should look at is you know instead of growing you know, 150 different products maybe we can slim it down to grow 50 and sort of uh, you know, grow a little bit larger scale on a certain things. We'll start wholesaling those items instead. And it sounded great to me at the time. It's just less, less to worry about, less to train people on, uh, you know, packaging becomes easier. Everything became, I would think would become easier, yeah. but then to sort of look at the, the, how much you get for the food and it's just not enough. There's not enough left at the end of the day for uh, our operation, especially as a market garden, our size. Um, and we do a lot of things still by hand. And, um, so it just, there's, there's no automation. So, uh, labor costs, it just didn't add up. It didn't make sense. There's also the factor. There's no real, there's no real guarantees in the produce world just because you grow it and somebody asks for it doesn't mean they're going to take it when it's ready, uh, which is a bit of a problem too. So, yeah, that does sound really quite tricky doing all the different things that you do grow and the different things that you do, and then people not wanting it. Well, that's, there's no profit but there's no not even any money in it and that kind of thing can can happen where someone's asked for something and then they just say well actually no yeah and i think it's more common and more common than probably i even know about but i've uh, i've also heard stories 
groups on a larger scale like that, that, um, you know, bigger chain grocery stores will ask, uh, you know, ask for something to be produced. And then when the time comes to buy it, uh, you know, maybe they have a better price. Maybe they don't want it. Maybe trends have changed in food. And so there's no guarantee. So you can end up being stuck with a, um, stuck with a crop that you put a lot of work into, and now it's time to harvest and you know, there's no customer there to buy it. So, so it's a bit risky staying smaller and staying diverse for us has always been a, a, a good tool to sort of mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the farmer's market is nice too. We're growing, um, although we're growing a lot of different products, which can be hard to manage. It's kind of nice to know that maybe something doesn't work out. Something else will. Any information and details expressed during this podcast can be found at SproutRight.com or LeannePhillipson.com. So, Ryan, you're also really passionate about about buying local, and I wanted to to discuss something that you and I did have discussed in the past about like an like a disconnect between maybe it's an ever growing disconnect even in our food and us. Like I know that when I go to the market and I buy all my greens and I buy all my food and I have my couple of bags full and I leave and I come home and I put it all away. And, and every week I make, you know, four or five salads with all of your gorgeous greens, the kitchen sink greens. And then I put my lovely flowers and sprouts and all these kind of things. I'm like, I'm, I feel good from start to eating to it actually going in my mouth. Does the same thing happen if I have like an extra big box of spinach from from Costco or something like that? I don't know. I don't know that I'm like aware enough of thinking of that, but I definitely feel there's a connection to the food that I'm eating when I've bought it, you know, from someone like yourself, from a farmer. My eggs taste better because I know who I'm buying them from. Like there's, I don't, there's a different connection there. Even as you're talking about it, like talking about what you do with the food that you brought home. I mean, I have this big smile on my face right now because it's, uh, I love to hear the feedback as well. So that kind of got lost a little bit when we went, um, when we went online and started doing home delivery, I no longer had that conversation directly with the customer, mm-hmm. um, which I missed a lot actually. So um, yeah, it's, I, yeah, that's a big thing. So it's hearing what you do with the food, but also you asking me questions about what's coming up and questions about how it's grown and having that conversation too. I think it's important. And I think, yeah, you get excited about the food. I guess, like I said, when I go to the restaurant and see something that I grew, um, you know, and I, I ask them, I order the salad and they're like, you really want the salad? Don't you eat enough? I'm like, no, I want to see what you do with it. I, I, yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. So I'm the same. I don't get that from when I go buy something at the grocery store. It's not to say that I don't enjoy it. It's just, uh, it's that part is missing, I guess. So having that story behind the food is pretty important to um, the real people uh, that you can you can see that are growing it. We try and represent at the farmer's market with either myself, which is important, or um, somebody else that works on the farm. Um, those are another two important things for us is uh, having that. I know it limits the limits the amount of markets we may be able to do, uh, but that doesn't sort of, I, otherwise it feels a little washed out when it's just, here's our food and, and we're sort of getting away from that. But even small, like even small retail locations we deliver to, um, you know, I know the owners personally and they share the stories with their customers of things that I've told them. And uh, it just adds a little extra to to what you're buying. That local piece to it is is still really important rather than it coming from Mexico or, you know, and you don't know what the practices are. You know, if you go to the, to the fish monger will ask questions again that's why that's why i'm sort of doing a bit of a check here that i'm not the only one out there going okay where you know what's happened with this or what is this or what should i do with this i love asking those questions because i think i realize there's so much that i don't you know i'm not a farmer i don't know all the different kinds of what was that spinach that you had at the beginning of the season Oh, the red kitten spinach? That was it. Uh, I'm sorry. Who knew, Chris, that there's something called What a horrible name for food. Spinach. (laughs) 
<laughs> so why did you decide to grow red kitten spinach? Why did they red, name it red kitten spinach? Crying <laughs> out loud. Actually, you know what? Your reaction to that is like, like well, I never really thought about it that way. It's interesting <laughs> that differently. Well, um, your your brain is so wholesome. Mine's completely messed up. It's fine. Maybe, yeah, I, maybe you could tell me why. First of all, why they named it that, sure. and then what does it taste I, like? I'm not sure why it was named red kitten. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I I guess it's so. It's a green spinach, but it has a red vein down the center. Um, and the little, uh, it's, it's got a red sort of stem to it as well. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great spinach. It's, it's not just because it's red, but originally for sure, that's why I tried it. I'm always looking for something different, new, something to stand out. And so I, I'm like red kitten spinach. This sounds great. Um, but on top of that, the variety itself, actually, um, it does really well in our environment. So it does well in the greenhouse. It likes the cold. It's pretty good with the heat. Uh, oh, it cool. holds up well. It overwinters well. It tastes really good. And it's fun on your plate, too. It's like it, yeah. it adds a little bit of color to your spinach. Yeah. It's definitely not your typical baby brown, the sort of spoon-shaped leaf you would get um, in right. the mix. Um, it's got a real spinach flavor to it. Um, yeah, there's so where they came up with the name Red Kitten, I'm not sure. But no. interestingly <laughs> enough, there is uh, sometimes I call it a Bordeaux spinach. So depending on how fancy you want to get Bordeaux is, you know, for the restaurants that want to serve, you know, <laughs> much uh, better. Yes. Yeah. Bordeaux spinach <laughs> for yes, the restaurants, yeah. red kitten for the market. <laughs> yeah. But you got to be smart with marketing too, right? Who you're selling it to is important. So well, that's my uh, full-time job is marketing. So I'm all over that with you. I think it's tremendous to be able to Bordeaux spinach. But what I, what's interesting yeah. about the spinach that you're talking about is I tell people to put spinach into their smoothies and hide it from their kids and all because it doesn't have any taste now i'm trying to think back to the to the red kitten spinach i it definitely had more more strength to it i want to say like like the leaf was not as sort of flimsy i do recall that like when i would tear it up i definitely noticed a difference but like you said it was more fun i mean that's why we there's a lot of things that we we grow we grow um i could just grow orange carrots but the reason for growing, you know, different colored carrots is partly just for that. It's, it looks really nice. So I see food as a bit of an art form as well. So I like what it looks like. And it's more interesting to eat uh, a vegetable platter with a bunch of different colored carrots on it, purple and yellow and white and orange and red and all different shades of purple in between. Um, it just looks nicer. So why not? And, and, uh, I think there is that too with kids, right? They just say it's more, it becomes more fun for them too, to sort of see their food uh, more colorful. Um, Not to say there's anything wrong with orange carrots uh, by any means. And, um, but going back to the spinach thing too, and you talk about that spinach that it's like, doesn't have any flavor and it's kind of like, it's floppy and it really doesn't have any texture to it as well. And and that's part of just the, the, the growing of the food. Uh, Spinach like that is probably grown, um, in a climate that's really not overly designed for spinach. I don't think so. Anyways, I see food is very seasonal. And so we grow spinach in the spring, fall and winter. And I don't even attempt to grow it in the summer anymore. I don't grow full-size kale in the summer. Traditionally we ate kale as children uh, in the winter time because it's, you know, it's a winter vegetable tastes better. Uh, it's more probably more nutritious during those seasons too, because it had a little bit of time to mature in its proper way, you know, how it's supposed to be grown. Mm. And our, this spinach is the same thing, I think. So that's, I think, important too, is, is not even just eating local. If you're going to eat local, you're probably going to get food that's in season, yeah. um, which is also pretty, I think, pretty important. We all try to find a little bit of the seasons. We have greenhouses. We extend our season a little bit on either end, but we're not trying to grow. Um, we're not trying to grow tomatoes in, in January or anything like that. So right. we, you know, we're trying to extend our season a little bit, get a few more dollars out of uh, out of the year is what, uh, what we're trying to achieve. Now, we had a really super brief conversation about greenhouse and growing in soil versus hydroponic because that hydroponic, I mean, peppers, I think are probably the biggest Thing that are grown hydroponic would i be right in saying that yeah hydroponic peppers uh eggplant peppers uh actually there's a lot of crops nowadays that are grown hydroponically and can you explain what hydroponic is uh it's soilless uh so there's actually so nutrient solution um whether it's organic or or not organic is is what's fed to the plant and the roots uh, directly absorb that up and it and into the growth 
Um, whereas the soil is, is pretty obvious. You, you put the plant in the ground and it, uh, it sets its roots into soil and it's watered that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it collects its nutrients from the soil, either organically or inorganically. You can sort of add those uh, elements. Um, there is something, something about the soil. I just, uh, I, I mean, that's why I got into this was I, I fascinated with the soil itself as well. And, and um, I've tried a couple of little projects on my own. It's not for me, but I like growing it in the soil. I like pulling a carrot out of the ground. Prime example for me is tomatoes going out to the greenhouse, getting a tomato that's, um, you know, grown in the soil that's, uh, you know, picking it while it's still warm from the sunshine. And you can actually like somehow taste the sunshine, I feel like, or that sort of energy in it. Um, that I just don't, I don't know if that's comparable in organic, um, or sorry, comparable in hydroponic. Uh, it could be, I mean, I'm sure there is some, there is some, uh, people out there that are, that, that can do it well. But I think food is generally grown. A lot of it is now grown for travel. Uh, so it travels well. Will it store well? Uh, different things like that rather than, you know, the, you know, does it taste good? That's a big thing. So, yeah, when you say about the, you know, the tomato and it tasting warm and well, it is warm from the sunshine. Strawberries are the, are Chris, you must've remembered me talking about the little bite. They're like little bites of sunshine because they're just these little red bundles of taste and flavor that is honestly just like an explosion in your mouth. And it's just, you can't get it any other way. That box, that plastic box filled with California strawberries is just not the same as buying them or picking them or something like that like it's yeah, picking them that's the way to go right so to put your own hands into it yeah uh, i think then you, it's, you even have that more appreciation than you know even buying it at the farmer's market that's always a big thing for me too it's like what do i want for dinner i'm like i'm gonna go pick it and I just enjoy it so much more when I go out and get it. Yeah. Uh, I wish more people had the opportunity to be able to do that directly from a farm or, or even their garden, right? It's, uh, I think people, I love when I see people's Instagram posts and they're so proud of whatever they grew. Even if the squirrels ate most of the tomatoes and they got one little, <laughs> yeah. little cherry tomato, um, yeah. they're pretty proud of that plant. And, and as they should be, it's not, it's not an easy task. And like you said, to learn it, right. That's, um, you know, you sort of have to learn it from experience. Yeah. That's one thing I, I think about once in a while, we've, uh, I've been farming for only 12 years. Uh, but, but that actually means I've only grown potatoes in my life 12 times, um, or I've already farmed them 12 times okay. because we only have one chance a year. Right. So I'm lucky we might get a second chance for a second crop, but okay. you just don't have the opportunity to learn it any other way, except for doing it. I learned most of my, I think I, I, I don't think I touched on that, but I learned most of my farming from uh, Google. So Did you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, and trial and error, right? So I read about it and, and uh, okay, I can try that and see what happens. Yeah. I remember that song, old Mick Google had a farm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I called myself a Google farmer for the first few years. I usually, I usually leave that out now. I like to sound a little bit more, like um, like more connected than that, but. So. But it's reality, right? So that's uh, that's part of the day and age. I guess maybe now this is maybe where my IT background comes in. There say, you there's go. The conne- yeah. There's the connection right there. I guess, you have, to, I guess yeah. you have to type in the E I E I. Where's the O? Oh, there it is. All right. That's great. Well, I, I mean, I have a little, um, a little garden i'll call it oh, it's a, it's a box really on my balcony because i live in a condo <laughs> really? are we comparing your box <laughs> i'm not i'm just saying from the local standpoint i will be able to go and get a few leaves of lettuce to add to my salad i'm not I want, rely on I, it i'm still buying my kitchen sinks out. <laughs> all right ryan i want you to set up a little booth next to yours at the farmer market so leanne can peddle her lousy little i'll give her some veggies. yes yeah <laughs> Um, Seriously, there's like three leaves on the lettuce so far. So let's well, not get too excited. So you'll sell out by 930 and be off to lunch. Oh, my God. The market starts at eight. If you're not there by 830, oh. you lose out on everything. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, you got to be there first. Oh my God. The egg guy, the guy that we get the eggs from now, seriously, if you're there by 845, maybe nine, he's like, sorry, all out. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's like high demand for these. Well, you love to be able to produce more too. That's the thing. So, I mean, I hate selling out of certain things too, but it's just the way it is. I, I feel horrible when it happens, but Friday evenings are pretty busy for me. And then we're up at four 30 in the morning. I'm a little shorthanded, so I'll be at the market myself tomorrow. So 
hopefully customers will be patient. It's yeah. getting get pretty busy, but uh, I know last weekend, the same thing happened. I actually, for the second time in my career was late for a market last week. So I was a little overworked and uh, I turned my alarm off and I woke up at eight o'clock or seven o'clock actually, and realized I'm late for the market. And so I debated, I said, like, should I go or should I just skip it? And so I showed up it made me kind of think about things because the customers were waiting and very patiently in line and people offered to help. Uh, somebody offered to get me a coffee. Somebody offered to get me some food. And wow. it was, it felt really good. And it felt really good to know that like, I'm like, I, the reason I was thinking about not going is like, uh, you know, people probably bought their stuff somewhere else. Uh, it's not a big deal. And uh, I realized that how loyal the customers are as well. Um, They're willing to wait. So that felt really good. That kind of, it's moments like that, that kind of uh, make me think, you know, if I have many moments about, you know, maybe I should quit this and I want to throw in the towel. And I, I have moments like that where it's like, now nah, this, this is why this is, you know, it's, it's nice to see that. Right. It's really nice. Yeah. And I think realizing, you know, there are moments even in doing this podcast, I would say where, you know, sometimes I think, oh yeah, that was a great episode, but maybe I don't, we don't get too much feedback, Chris. And then you kind of think, is this, is this working? Is this, you know, are people listening? I mean, you can see by the stats, people are listening, but you just, you want to know what you're putting out into the world is having an impact. I think that's just a human trait, you know, for you to be growing and you know, producing food that are nourishing people's bodies, I think is, is so foundational and so incredibly important. It's interesting to know that you too have those kind of like, really? Yeah, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard, especially in the industry like this too. And and on our scale, Um, you know, I'm working probably the last few weeks, a hundred hours a week. This is what I I was saying too, about the IT where I've questioned it a few times. I'm like, wow, if I put that kind of effort into many other careers in my life, financially, I'd probably be very well rewarded. Not to say that the farm doesn't, you know, pay bills and things like that. And, and, um, it's not the same. I don't think, I think it's the, a little bit unbalanced, um, like a lot of things in life it's hard. And, And so, but I'm in it for, because I love doing it. Um, and I feel good about what I do for a living. I didn't feel good about the IT industry, what I was doing there. Not that there isn't value to it. I just, it wasn't for me. Yeah. And then there's this, the farmer's market. I coming back to the market, um, was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit stressed and a little bit nervous, but then I have moments like that at the market. And there's moments when we have school groups come out and the kids are here. And, um, those moments remind me yeah, it just makes me feel really good about what I do. And speaking about having kids come out, you're, you do do tours on your farm. Yeah. So we do uh, uh, school tours and any community group, basically anybody, uh, you know, if people call and they were like, well, can we come out and have a tour? I'm like, absolutely. So um, we're pretty open to, you know, just individuals coming out, people coming out as a group, community organizations. Um, uh, we have local community food center here. Um, I think there's in Toronto to the stop. And a similar organization, they come out and just, you know, sometimes they want to help. Sometimes they just want to talk and walk around. I really enjoy those, enjoy those moments. Something else we've sort of gotten into, we're starting to get into starting this year is a little bit of agritourism. We're evolving again or expanding, I suppose, and um, uh, looking for new uh, revenue sources as well as just keeping things interesting. So we are getting into some on-farm dinners. Right now, we're just uh, working on the infrastructure, built a separate greenhouse that's specifically for events, okay. um, working on the landscaping in the yard and, and the outdoor fire grill. We have a few dates coming up that we've sort of, we haven't finalized completely yet, um, but we're going to be pairing with chefs, local chefs and chefs, a couple from Toronto uh, area, London as well. And um, even Kitchener, I think actually to Kitchener Waterloo plan is to do small dinners that uh yeah, you know will go on for about four or five hours which will include farm tour and talks um hopefully be able to harvest uh people coming to the dinner welcome to come har- harvest the food that's actually going to be uh cooked for the dinners um so dig up your own potatoes pull your own carrots cut your own greens down to getting your own garnish and, and herbs if you like and it's fun. It's fun just to get together. I mean, like, I mean, like we've been talking about this whole time, talking to people at the farmer's market is one of my most exciting parts of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exhausting, but uh, I love it. And if we can go one step further and bring the people to the farm and to have a chef cook it for you and, and sort of uh, interact with you as well. So it's not, there's some chef that's going to be hidden away in the kitchen. 
it's going to be done on a grill outside and you know you can you can sit and walk and watch um and to have some local music too uh music is another big passion of mine so to have local bands uh or or djs for you know some yep. of our other events is it's going to be exciting too That's pretty excited great. about it. Yeah. yeah and speaking of of things on your website tell us where people can find out more about you and and also do you have a recommendation for people that are not local to toronto because this is actually people all over the world listen to this podcast so um you know them trying to find a local market for themselves to go and visit for sure yeah i mean it's uh farmers markets exist in and most communities and i think it's super important to support them too there's a very 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 small percentage of the business that that the farmers are getting directly from the customers Mm -hmm. and i never met a farmer that doesn't appreciate that sort of you know that that revenue without having to pay uh you know somebody else for the distribution uh many many middlemen to get your food somewhere it also it increases the cost for the consumer maybe a little bit but what it does is lower the cost for the uh, what the farmer gets for their food Uh, local farmers markets definitely are the way to go um uh, but if not, there's the small independent little grocery stores too. usually support these type of operations. Uh, I think in our area, we're blessed with all this agriculture around us in Ontario too. So uh, I think we have really good farmers markets, the Brickworks Farmers Market, which we attend on yep. Saturday. Both of us attend on Saturday yes. uh, is a great market. It's, uh, it's really, you know, one of the, one of the best markets I've seen around, um, but there's plenty, there's all kinds. And the more, customers come out that means more farmers will come out it's uh, works together so if customers don't show up then the farmers can't be there if the farmers don't show up customers don't want to be there so so people can find out more about your uh, farm in particular and keep uh, keep watch on uh, on these dinners that are coming up i definitely will be loco fields l o c o fields.com yep that's correct localfields.com local like uh, crazy (laughs) it's um mexican uh mexican word for crazy or spanish word sorry (laughs) um yes and then uh yeah so and we're on instagram as well local underscore fields and those are probably the best two places and um like i said directly at the farmers markets and if you can't support that at least uh, maybe when you go to dine look for restaurants that also serve local food um that buy directly from farmers they're pretty important to in this industry too yeah they can choose to buy uh, from large companies like cisco and other delivery companies Uh, but they they make a decision even though the food may be three times the cost sometimes to buy um, they still want to support local and they see the value in the the fresh food and it usually comes out on your plate and you can tell you know it's uh, the care was taken in and the whole process too so thank you so much ryan for sharing your story and oh nice thank you Well, that was a fascinating conversation. And, you know, as always, Ryan said, there was so much more that I wanted to say about this. And I know that he's such an advocate for for growing local. But what a what an interesting pivot, Chris, from the IT world into farming. Yeah, it's the antithesis to farming has to be is IT. Right. Uh, yeah. So but maybe you think about it, it makes perfect sense in the sense that if IT wasn't fulfilling him, as an yeah. individual, as a person, um, yeah. and he just didn't, his heart wasn't in it, then why not go to the opposite side of that fence? And that would have been, yeah. that's that's farming, being one with the land, and that's great. It's yeah. kind of an, it's a, again, it's a really neat I, thought process where most of us mm. are too afraid to go there. Absolutely. Yeah. He did. He took that leap. So good for him. Yeah. And literally like hands in the earth, you can't get more grounded than that. And (laughs) so, so often I do talk about this concept of feeling grounded, of, of feeling like you're kind of not, and it's not that an ungrounded feeling can very often feel just sort of a little spacey. Things don't line up. You're kind of all over the place. And, and sometimes I myself just have to like sit down and imagine my feet, even if I'm on the 22nd floor of my condo, imagine my feet in the earth, you know, like walking in the grass or, or feeling not maybe sand if it's a beach or, or just the earth in, in my hands or in my, in my feet. And it just does bring, I don't know, it's almost like an exhale. I think uh, there's a connection um, to nature. Yeah. There's a reason why we're all kind of made of the same stuff. Yeah, and I find it even more important because I do live, you know, in a in a vertical 
community as opposed to a typical, you know, house can go out in my backyard. That's why I go for a walk every day. Also, my dog needs to go out, but I make sure that I do that. And, and especially over the past couple of years of making sure that we are all out and about in nature. I mean, that is something that's talked about so much. And here Ryan has gone from IT to literally, you know, hands in the ground is, yeah, it's just like you said, hats off to him for making, for making that move and continuing despite the challenges you know to do it and like he said he has his doubts many many times I think we all do no matter what it is what it is that we do so it does it does inspire me that much more to get to know more about the people that I'm buying my food from because I I do believe that the connection to the food and that grounded uh, that grounded sense and that grounded feeling can come from the food that we eat you know, there's just such a disconnect in the world with so many things right now of what's real, what's not, what, you know, all of that, especially with the world of social media really taking up so much of our day. And this is such a tremendous way to, uh, yeah, to be able to feel grounded, I think. Now, buying local for me, it's become a habit. You know, I do go to the market every every Saturday. And even last week I was away um, and kind of thought, oh, no, what am I going to do about my salads all week? Because I don't have I wasn't at the market to get all of my food. Of course, I had I had my sprouts had lasted two weeks, so I was totally fine to uh, to make my usual foods. But there is, you know, there's a certainty to it. Do I hit up my local Costco or supermarket or or get foods that aren't local? Sure, I do. Lemon in my water every day and putting lemon on my oysters. Well, that, that's a must. They're not local. And I'm sure I could come up with a list that's a lot more as we head into a whole lot of economic, we're not really sure right now. It's more important that we're intentional with what we spend our money on. Priority for me is to go local as much as possible because it feels good. And I think the debate about local versus organic, as we talked about with Ryan, is one that's been around for a really long time. However, in the case of talking to the farmer and understanding what they do is also a way to get around that as well. So thank you so much for being along today. I love hearing your comments and I love just hearing what Ryan has to say. Now, this was an epiphany and an aha that I had while buying my greens, like I said. But if there's a topic that you'd like me to talk about and do a deep dive into, hit me up on leannephillipson.com and also sproutright.com and on the same social media channels. So anything that you guys want to talk about and just feedback in general about about anything that we talk about on here. Right, Chris? There's always so many topics that are top of mind for us to be to be uh, to be discussing on this radio show and podcast. Yeah, it would help I mean, if they would if they would uh, include which episode they heard it in because lord knows we try and stay on track. It doesn't yeah. always the train doesn't always go in the direction we were hoping it to. Usually we get to the destination we wanted to get to, but sometimes we take some creative avenues. We do. We <laughs> and do. so there's an For awful sure. lot discussed. <laughs> it's there is an awful lot. It's discussed. called Eat This and it is about what you put in your mouth and what gets past your gums, but um there's a there's a lot of meat on that bone there really is as always you know being along and sharing this and and really putting the investment of time into listening to what we have to say and everything that we bring i am truly grateful for as as grateful as i am for chris for you producing this and putting this all together of course we wouldn't be anything without our lovely loyal listeners so thank you so much for being along today and of course please remember to eat this one mouthful at a time 